little Ernie, our male eclectus parrot, has my heart. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast with the host that can't believe I haven't started calling these interzoos yet, the Rossafari Podcast. Wait a minute, have I used that one already? Hmm, I honestly don't remember. You know what, y'all, I do a lot of these, so if that was a repeat joke, um, well, hey, you get what you paid for, right? Okay, I know I've made that joke before, but it's also kind of not really a joke, so... Whatever. It's all good. All right. So welcome to the podcast. And uh, today is a fun one. It's a funny one. We we have a good time coming up for y'all. And that is because, okay, so you know how back in the day, and I guess it still happens, but when a show was super popular, they would do a spinoff, right? Like Family Matters was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, and, and Mork and Mindy and Joni Loves Chachi were spinoffs of Happy Days. Sometimes you take a really popular character and do a spinoff. Well, this is not that. But it's kind of the same idea, so I'm going to stick with it. See, there's a bit of a story behind today's episode. Unless you're brand new to this show, then you definitely know the name Danny Poirier Larson. She has her own episode that you should definitely check out if you haven't yet. She has appeared on Raw Safari After Dark. She supplied a poop story, poop story. to another episode. She did a Raw Safari Live that was incredibly popular that is still available on my Instagram, at Raw Safari. And she helps me get a lot of different guests for this podcast, so her name definitely keeps cropping up. Well, Danny works with the birds at Southwick's Zoo in Massachusetts. And one of the people that works with her has also become a very good friend of mine and is a huge fan of the podcast and is someone who I really, really love. And I really wanted to share her story with you all. My guest is named Emily Begay. And, of course, I immediately ran into the problem of, if I have Emily on here, then, well... What's she going to talk about? We've already heard about a bunch of the birds at the zoo. She's also relatively new to keeping, so there isn't a huge backstory that we can share. Well, I don't know, but I wanted to have her on. So I reached out to Emily and said, hey, friend, come be on my podcast, to which she said a very enthusiastic no. Okay, so that's the end of the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, the word credits backwards is Stiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening. Okay, okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But Emily seriously did say no, saying that she wasn't entirely comfortable uh, being on the podcast as a new zookeeper and also sharing my fears that she wouldn't be able to bring many new animals to the podcast because Danny's already been such a huge presence on here. But that got me thinking, you know... We talk a lot about mentorship and leadership on this podcast, but it's usually the mentors and the leaders that I talk to. 
In fact, Danny was one of the earliest conversations I had about that, and it really helped influence a lot of the pods that I've made since and having discussions about what it means to be a leader in the zoo field or in general. So because of that, I had this idea. I know that a lot of you that listen are either new zookeepers or are people who are actively trying to become zookeepers. And I thought, what if we put this all together and we talk to Emily about being a new keeper, having a good leader, how to find a good mentor, how to put yourself into the conversations when you have imposter syndrome. And trust me, many people who have been doing this job or any job for a long time have imposter syndrome. Emily loved the idea, and this episode was born, and I am really excited about that fact. It's a good one, y'all. Turns out, some of Emily's favorite birds are different than the ones Danny mentioned. Ooh, wait, am I allowed to call them favorites? I, I'll listen to the episode, and you'll, you'll figure out whether that's the appropriate term or not. Um, but also, there's just a lot of cool content here. You're going to hear a lot about what it's like to start out as a zookeeper and to get your feet under yourself in this profession. Also, like, Emily had the coolest stories. She did a study abroad trip to South Africa. She was a member of 4-H. She did wildlife rehab before getting into zookeeping. She's so cool. I, I, I just, I'm so excited for this one, y'all. I will say this, though. Imposter syndrome doesn't just apply to the job. Emily also felt a little impostery about being on a podcast, and so she showed up with a full notebook. You're going to hear me make fun of her about that a couple times in this episode, but all joking aside, I love that she did what she needed to do to feel comfortable. I think we all need to make sure that we take the time to affirm each other more and put each other down less. And yes, you're going to hear me picking on her in this episode, but that's only because we're good friends and she knew I was joking and I made sure to let her know repeatedly how amazing of a job she was doing. So if you haven't yet, make sure that you hit subscribe. Make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari, on TikTok at Rossafari Pod. I've posted a couple new funny, silly videos on there lately. And, um, you know, make sure you're tuning in to every Thursday's Zoo News, every Tuesday's interview show. Check out the website, rossafari.com, all that good stuff. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Emily Begay of Southwick's Zoo. All right, so tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. All right, my name is Emily Begay. I work at Southwick Zoo in Menden, Massachusetts, and I am a bird keeper slash bird trainer. All right. Um, so yeah, Southwick Zoo sounds a little familiar. I think, think we've had somebody on from the pod before. Can't, can't really remember though. Yeah, um, maybe. Uh, yeah. Sounds familiar. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but, but let's talk about you first. Um, so tell me, why are you, why are you a keeper? What, what got you into this? Sure thing. So, I mean, like everyone, I have always loved animals from as early as I can remember, I love, love cats. <laughs> I've always had a cat growing up and, um, I've just really loved animals through my whole life. And I did actually do 4-H growing up as a kid. So my mom went into school one day for like a teacher conference and she said, you know, my daughter really loves animals. Is there anything that she can do with that? 
And they got me in touch with a woman who worked at my school and she had sheep that, that her family owned. And so I was able to join her 4-H club where I got to do training, not like the training I'm doing now, um, but working with these sheep and with their care as well. And then going to fairs, if you've ever gone to like a fair over the summer and um, you see livestock there, that's what the 4-H kids are doing. So that was a really big part of like my pre-adolescent life. Um, Then I went to the University of Connecticut. I was an animal science major. That's what I have an associate degree in. And once I completed that associate's degree, I went on to natural resources with a concentration in fisheries and wildlife conservation. And that's what I finished out my bachelor's of science in. While I was a natural resources student, um, my boyfriend brought me to Southwick Zoo for our second date ever. Smooth. And that is how you get the ladies. I know. And this, and you live with him now, right? Yes. So this worked. This, this is okay. All right. <laughs> so there's your tip, gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Take notes. Take notes. That's how to win most women's hearts. <laughs> um, so we were walking around Southwick's and, you know, we were still in the park and I was like, you know, this place is really awesome. I want to check on their website and see if they do an internship program. And so while I was walking past the cheetahs, I go, Ooh, okay. Internship program. Awesome. So I made sure to apply right away. And, um, I had an interview. Danny was present and, um, there was a little bit of a fight over me, I guess, because I was really set on the ambassador program with the earth department. And, um, she thought I would be a really great fit for birds, but earth wanted me. So that's where I ended up because like you mentioned, us bird people, a lot of us don't start out as bird people. Right, right. And I I was no exception. I was like set on furry mammals and I loved it. And then of course, I started my internship and uh, there are a couple of ambassador birds in that program. And I loved them. I just fell in love with their personality. And it's something that you really have to work with to establish that trust. And it was just so rewarding to see progress in your relationships. So I was really hooked on that. So then once I graduated from UConn, I briefly worked at a rehab hospital. So I do have some um, wildlife rehab experience as well. Um, But that was unfortunately seasonal. So once that was over, I was in need of a job again. And I'm not even kidding. I was checking the Southwick Zoo website every day, every other day for a couple of weeks. And I, I happened to check the day that the bird department position was posted. It was a, uh, part-time year round position. And, um, I jumped right on it, submitted my application and went to my interview and the rest is history. Amazing. Uh, let's step back for a second, though, and talk about the the wildlife rehab work. What kind of stuff do you do there? Because I know it's very different than keeping. It is. It's very different because you have to be very hands-off because the goal is release with these animals. Um, it was such a wonderful opportunity. I'm really glad that I got to see that side of animal care. Um, and it was such an awesome and unique position. My official title was wildlife nursery caretaker, which like how (laughs) fun is that? So I was specifically set with the, um, orphaned or injured songbirds and baby squirrels. (laughs) So I was, 
bottle feeding baby squirrels all day, um, feeding baby birds every half hour, every 90 minutes. Um, so it was a really unique experience and I definitely learned a lot. I got to help out with some other animals as well. I've held an osprey before, which was super cool. <laughs> nice. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I think, I think I've been learning a little bit more about how wildlife rehab is very different than, than standard zoo stuff. And, um, every state has its own rules and stuff, but you can, you can definitely have a very different, uh, relationship with animals that way. Which right. I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, did you find yourself doing any of the any veterinary type work or did they uh, did they have a vet there or how did that go? Yeah. So they had a staff of licensed uh, rehabbers who would kind of assess the animals as they come in and figure out what is wrong with them and then kind of the course of treatment that should follow. Um and they did give me an opportunity after I had been there for a little while to kind of observe that initial little assessment of the patients when they came in. Um, and they did give me an opportunity once I had seen, you know, <laughs> dozens of baby robins come in. They gave me the opportunity to uh, try one out, observed. But um, because I didn't have that background or that training, uh, I was never really, you know, held on my own to do that. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah, no, I figured yeah. they were they were watching out for you. But that's really cool to have that kind of experience. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so uh tell me, you went on a study abroad trip at some point, right? Was this still when you were at UConn? Yes, it sure was. Okay. Where so, did you go? Yeah, so um it was really a pivotal point for me, I think, in my um studies, my undergrad studies. I did a a uh, three-week study abroad trip in South Africa. It was part of a course that I took called African Field Ecology. And I can't recommend that kind of opportunity if your school offers one to anyone enough because it's just such a wonderful experience. But I took this course. I learned about South Africa and its history and its natural ecology. And then over the summer, I went on a three-week trip, and we were just out in Sabi Sands, which is a game reserve right next to Kruger, just doing safaris every single day, taking photographs, all this kinds of stuff. And um, the biggest component of the trip was learning African track and sign. Uh, so I am actually track and sign certified in South Africa. I have literally no idea what that is. So please, please <laughs> enlighten me. Absolutely. So the substrate obviously is very dry and sandy in South Africa. So uh, when an animal walks by, the prints are very easily visible. And so you can kind of go out and you can get so much information just by looking at the ground. So you can identify species and you can um, kind of gauge what they were doing when they were walking by. So the trackers that were kind of our leaders throughout the whole trip, they said it's like going out in the morning and reading the newspaper. You can figure out what was happening the night before. And um, you uh, can identify, like I said, you can identify species. You can figure out maybe how fast they were going, what direction they were going. And um, it can really help you find these animals, you know, that's the ultimate goal. The, the tracks are fun, but you want to see the animals. That's really cool. And so you are certified now. Uh, yes, of course. I haven't been able to, you know, actually be using those skills actively, but I do have a little level two track and sign 
patch that I keep with me. It's my most prized possession. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really cool. Uh, that's amazing. Are, are you hoping to be able to get back there once, uh, you know, the world exists again and everything? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to go back to South Africa. It's such an incredible place. I recommend it to anyone. <laughs> so what did what uh, what would you say that course did for you, though, in the course of like your keeping and your life? It obviously opens your eyes to a lot of conservation topics. You're out seeing these species in the wild or what's left of it. And um, you're seeing just how they coexist and the threats that they're facing. You're seeing it with your own eyes. And, um, you know, as much as we get those experiences here when we go to a zoo, to have the opportunity, I know it's not available to everyone to go out and physically see it on their turf. It just strengthens all of those feelings that we all feel and, you know, why we're drawn to this field. Awesome. I love that. Guys, she's only had to check her notebook three times. So far. <laughs> I, I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> the, so the first the first one was when you said your name and I was a little concerned. But no. <laughs> I'm He's Emily but but b- oh oh I wrote poorly. <laughs> no, don't listen to him. He's lying. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, but that makes a lot of sense. And so uh, then you you found yourself at Southwicks. Now I'm curious. Not a ton of zoos up in your area. I know there's Southwicks and there's Capron Park is kind of close. And maybe Roger Williams, would that have been a a feasible, like, what's that, an hour away maybe? Yeah, probably. Maybe closer to an hour and a half. There's also Beardsley. Oh, true, 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 true. How far are you from there? It's actually just as far, if not farther, uh, to where I was in Connecticut as Southwicks. So I grew up in the northeast corner of Connecticut and so they were pretty much equidistant, and I was really, really drawn to Southwick. So that was the clear choice for me. That's awesome, and I love that, and and that's really cool. But I'm curious. Okay. Most keepers do not get the chance to just, oh, hey, I'm going to work at my local zoo now. And, and you got that right from the start. So congratulations. But what would you have done if nothing showed up? Oh, that's a great question. I was definitely, you know, putting out feelers everywhere that I could right after I was done with the um, rehab position. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There were times that it felt a little hopeless. And I did also fill that time when I wasn't sure what was going on. I picked up a waitressing job just to kind of fill the space. Uh, But I really was persistent and I was not about to settle for anything else but an animal position anytime soon. Uh, And I definitely lucked out with the timing and it worked in my favor. But yeah, I didn't even set that in my mind as an option. I love that. But you were willing to do the the, um, sojourn that many keepers have to do if you had to. Would you have have picked up your life and moved to to get a job if you had to, if Southwick's wasn't, you know, available? Or were you going to be a keeper at Southwick's? Um, yeah, I actually put out feelers at the Smithsonian down in DC. My brother lived in DC at the time, now lives in Virginia. So that was definitely an option. Um, as far as going further than that, I, I actually know that's a lie. I applied for a job at the San Diego Zoo and I was that's slightly further. 
<laughs> yeah, I was considering that as well. Uh, I do recognize you do have to be open for those opportunities, but I was hoping to stay on the East Coast. So I was putting out most of my applications for jobs around there. So no, that's really cool that you were able to you were doing it that way, but then you also got what you really wanted. Yeah, it's true. And I had my internship and then I went and explored other options doing rehab. And it was such a wonderful experience and I had a really great time. And then when it was over, I was like, man, I really want to be back at Southlex. <laughs> awesome. Um, very cool. So then I guess uh, we should talk about some animals at Southwick Zoo. Absolutely. I sound, would love to. Sound like to. a plan? All right, cool. So um, you work with the birds. I and, sure do. And, and we've obviously had Danny on here, and she has talked about some of the birds. But uh, I would like to hear your perspective, because I know that you have some special favorites, and, and I'm sure you have some stories. So tell me about some of your birds. Sure, yeah. I would love to. Um, I have come a long way in two years, I would say. You know, it does take a long time to establish those relationships. So the birds, most of them certainly did not like me when I first started, uh, but you kind of work your way from there. Um, I've been working really closely with the parrot species, getting comfortable with handling and their behaviors and learning a lot about training. Obviously, Danny is just like one of the best resources ever to learn about training. Um, and then practicing shows and obviously interacting with the public as well with keeping it educational. We don't like to say that we have favorites. <laughs> but you do. And I know who your favorites are. So uh, can't, can't lie to me. There are birds that I enjoy working with very much so. <laughs> They're called your favorites, yes. <laughs> your words, not mine. Fair, fair. <laughs> but little Ernie, our male eclectus parrot, has my heart. He is just the sweetest boy, and he has the coolest vocals ever. And it's definitely so fun to have him out in front of the public and he does he does a fire truck noise and it is just a showstopper people's jaws hit the floor when he does his fire truck noise <laughs> it is really adorable i've, I've <laughs> yeah that, i've seen the video it's quite good it's time for interrupting 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 interrupting, interrupting john what, like you didn't think I was going to get you that audio? Here you go. Where's the fire? Okay, we need to hear that one more time. Where's the fire? And now Ernie's got your heart too, doesn't he? All right, back to the interview. So tell, tell me a little bit more about Ernie. Like, what's his personality like? And, and why, is, why is Ernie clearly not your favorite because you don't have those, but the parrot <laughs> that has your heart? <laughs> so Ernie uh, is a former pet, like many of our birds are, and his past family did such a wonderful job of socializing him. And he just really, really loves people and just being around us. We are definitely his strongest reinforcers. Um, and I, I guess I can tell you the origin story of that fire truck noise, actually. So he grew up in a family with a young boy and the family lived down the street from a fire station. And so the boy naturally had fire truck themed everything. So he had fire truck 
toys everywhere, stuffed animal or stuffed animals, stuffed plushies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously toys as well. And so when they took in Ernie, that became his favorite toy as well. They had a little fire truck toy that made the siren noise and he would sit on top of the fire truck and ride around the house on it. And so obviously the fire truck became very important to Ernie. So he learned to mimic the sound of it because it was important to him. And thus the fire truck noise was born. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like Ernie, you know, came from a family, you said. So, so what is the story of Ernie then getting to Southwick's? There were some unforeseen circumstances and they just unfortunately could no longer take care of him. And I think that it's was, it was a very hard decision for them. And, um, it's a very noble decision to make and decide that, you know what, we can't take care of this bird anymore and we need to get this bird somewhere where he is going to get the best care possible. So I commend them for making that decision. And, you know, obviously I'm very thankful because he's just <laughs> the best. Um, but not your favorite, just no, the no, best, no, no, not your not. favorite, just the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, they do still keep in touch and they visited last season, I believe. So they do visit from time to time. And, um, I'm, I think that it's really important to keep that relationship going. And I know that is the case for a few of our birds where their previous owners will come and still visit them. So it's really special. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. That's so cool. <laughs> Have you guys gotten Ernie a fire truck yet? I did, yes. <laughs> my- oh, and I like that it wasn't you guys. It was that Emily <laughs> was- got Ernie Actually, a fire truck. <laughs> I was... I was so excited. So my parents actually went to um, Ocean State Jabwa, which is, I think that's a regional thing. Um, but they, I told them, you know, if, you, if you're going, keep an eye out for just a cheap little fire truck toy because it would be really nice to just have one around. And um, they found one and they purchased it and I brought it right to the zoo. <laughs> I was so excited for this beautiful moment. I thought Ernie was going to lay eyes on this fire truck and make his fire truck noise. And I was going to burst into tears and it was just going to be like so emotional, but it didn't quite happen that way, but he does love it. We'll give him some time on his fire truck from time to time. So nice. That's really adorable. I love that. Do you have any other birds you want to tell me about? Because boy, you really lasered in on one for not having a favorite. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're all so special in their own ways. You know, Russell is still, you know, doing fantastic with his training with Danny. And um, he's been kind of branching out and trying to get other people involved with his training through protected contact. And he is actually taking to it really well. And we're allowed or we're able to get other people involved. And we're hoping to kind of evolve that I don't want to give too much away, but we're trying to evolve that into something more interactive. Uh, down the line, but he is just an absolute rock star and getting the opportunity to work with him more has been super, super cool. That's awesome. Um, so what do you think it is? Because, you know, I know that y'all have your favorite, uh, I'm sorry, your heart <laughs> 
birds. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to not just say the word favorites when that's what we mean, but that's okay. Um, but you all, you know, every keeper there has animals that they're more connected to. And I'm curious as to why you think that is, because it's it's all the same animals. And it's so interesting, um, you know, for my listeners, I'll say that, that Danny and Emily and I have a little text thread going. And it is so much fun and so ridiculous. But it is really amazing to me to see how even just in those private moments, um, the conversations tend to focus on different birds from different people. And like, you're all working with the same birds. You're all in the same room. When you send me video, whoever's filming, I see the other one in the video. Like <laughs> you're right there, but you get a completely different connection with different animals. And I'm curious why you think that is. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that draws me and so many other people to birds is because they have huge personalities and they are such individuals and not that other animals aren't, but, um, they just have huge, huge personalities. And, um, you can kind of at, from time to time, see some of yourself in some of the birds. And so, um, I think you, you have those small moments with these birds and it's just like, wow, they are thinking just like we do and they're making decisions and acting on their environment. And, um, Hey, that's what I would have done. Or, oh, hey, that's totally surprising to me. That's like really cool that you did that. <laughs> and they just, they always surprise you. I think that's really what it is. It's just like, wow, I didn't even think that you, that's where your mind was going, but they're just so intelligent. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think it's, I don't think there is a way to quantify why we like what we like. Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. tell you why I had been to dozens of zoos with red pandas and never noticed them and then went to the Philly Zoo one day and saw May and fell in love and now volunteer for Red Panda Network and and have met 30. 30 now. We're up to 30. Wow. Uh, I know, red pandas. And um, never once is it not the most amazing moment. Um, just, you know, I can't say why it is, but I also can't tell you why. I mean, in some cases you kind of can because of their personalities, but like, I can't tell you why I will go in with two pandas and one of them will completely melt my heart and the other one will be amazing and I will love it. But it's, it's like I fed them both grapes. But at the end of the day, I walked away thinking, oh my gosh, this is my new favorite panda. And there was another one in there that was really cool too. And yeah, I always find that interesting. Um, Zoe and I got to meet two of the off uh, exhibit pandas at Columbus, Madeline and Rinzen. And I was so in love with Rinzen. And it was just, I was like, oh, he is the coolest boy. He is the best boy. We are such good buds. And I, I, I remember I literally turned to look at Zoe and be like, come check out Rinzen. He's the best panda. And she was so in love with Madeline. And she was sitting there with her, her like eye to eye with her and looked up and was like, I, this is the best panda ever. And I was like, it's the same thing. We were in the same. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. You're wrong, but okay. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's just amazing how animals can have that that effect, you know? It's yeah. Really and cool. that's, that's beautiful that it's so individualized too. Yeah, it is. All <laughs> right. So you mentioned that you have been a keeper for two years now, correct? Correct. So that's, that's pretty much a baby in zookeeper terms. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm the first to say that I'm totally a novice still. Let's talk a little bit about what it's like when you first become a keeper. So you had this great little education and you had your wildlife experience and your internship, but now you're a zookeeper. 
So talk to me about day one. Talk to me about that first week. Sure. Oh, my goodness. i got to travel back in time to 2018. <laughs> so long ago. It feels like an eternity ago, honestly. I mean, after 2020, everything feels like an eternity ago. Exactly. So, um, you know, you walk in and you are clearly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You're so excited. And, and um, you walk in and you got to learn where everything is. You got to learn how things are done and how to um, get the day started. And um, so I walked in and we prepped everything and I learned how to clean. And so we went exhibit by exhibit and, you know, Danny walked me through it and uh, made sure that I was comfortable and they just really threw me right into it. And um, I think part of it was also because I did start in November. So Southwick Zoo is seasonal. So we were already closed at that point. So it's not like I had to be prepped on, you know, being out with the public and presenting. I had kind of that time, which I also really value that I had that time to really settle in before I had to, you know, be thrown to the wolves. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it can feel that way with uh, with with crowds sometimes when you're first yeah. starting. Um, that's really cool. So you you start off kind of cleaning, but then what's it like to start actually meeting the animals as a new keeper? Sure. Um, so obviously, I can only speak to what it's like with parrots and um, and all of our birds that we care for. Of course, but I like sweeping generalizations. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> so when I started, they definitely eased me into those relationships. Um, you know, we're always very adamant about reading the bird's body language before we even approach them. So, um, if the bird is giving clear signs that they're like, Hey, who's this new chick? I hate her. (laughs) They're not gonna throw me in there and expect me to, um, you know, handle it. So there was a lot of, um, the other keepers, taking the birds out of their exhibits for me so that I could clean um, and kind of observed reinforcing. Um, So the keepers would be like, okay, they're showing signs that they're comfortable. Why don't you go ahead and give them a reinforcer to kind of build up that relationship? And it definitely starts really slowly. And then from there, you can kind of start with easy behaviors like targeting, um, building up that reinforcement history until uh, they show you all the signs that they are totally comfortable. That makes sense. And who was your first bird that you got to like be hands-on with? Ooh, that's an excellent question. Thank you. I, I do this <gasps> professionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think honestly it might have been Ernie. Uh, because he is so good with people. He's not super quick to judge. Um, so he... And he's just so good. So I'm pretty sure that was the first bird that I got to be hands-on with. But, you know, there's also the flip side with um, our hyacinth macaw, Ben, who we've had a little introduction to, uh, where he always falls in love with the new girl. So that was kind of a relationship where I had to uh, kind of stand back and not really engage a lot, even though it was very tempting because he was giving me all the signs that he was loving all over me. But, um, I, that was uh, also a kind of a cool learning opportunity. Like, you know, 
you don't want to take that relationship too far. Or um, if you have him step up for you on a tea perch, he's never going to step off and you're going to be stuck with him all day, (laughs) (laughs) which is definitely the reality with Ben. So um, I'm kind of curious when you mentioned that, uh, do keepers in your experience ever get jealous of the relationships that other keepers have with animals? We try really hard to remain, you know, kind of professional about it. And I think there is always that underlying, we have to be professional and we want everyone to have good relationships, good working relationships with all of our birds. Um, So that's definitely something that's really important to us. And um, so we don't get jealous, I would say. Okay. I was just curious. I I think I would get jealous. Yeah. I mean, mean, it is hard not to. I feel like at certain times there is that little like tinge, but at the end of the day, we're all very happy. Of course. And I know that it's obviously about animal welfare above all else and stuff, but you are humans and you work on these (laughs) relationships. And, you know, when the next new girl showed up, were you like, am I not pretty anymore? What's wrong? What's wrong, Ben? <laughs> oh, I was fully prepped that that was coming. When, when our interns started, they were like, get ready. <laughs> you are no one to Ben now. <laughs> that is really amazing. That is that is such a great um, – I just – I love that story so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really cool. So I'm curious, in general – and again, I know we're, we're talking about your experience here. But um, when – so like – if hypothetically a you know high paying donor or a really cool podcast host came and met some of the birds because they're so well trained with so many different people because of you know working with keepers and interns and all that stuff are there birds that are would be good to just like hang out with the person right away or or you know are there some that would and some that wouldn't and and how does that work oh yeah absolutely um I think that it's situational to a degree where we would kind of gauge that specific interaction with that given bird. Um, But there are definitely uh, birds that just don't like men. (laughs) And then unfortunately that's the reality. And then there are other birds in our flock that love men, especially tall men. And um, so we have to be cognizant of, their history with people. Um, but we definitely wouldn't ever let a, you know, someone who isn't working with the birds just kind of come in and start giving them treats or anything like that. It's definitely something that, um, you have to do a lot of work to build up that relationship before that even happens. Very cool. Makes sense. Um, so when you first started out, what was something that surprised you or or maybe, I don't want to use the word disappointed, but disappointed you um, or, you know, or caught you off guard in some way as a keeper? Um, I feel like I wasn't really caught off guard, especially because I had that experience with my internship already. I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, I, so I, think I really have only gained from there. You know, you have to really put in a lot to be successful in this field. And, um, I think that like when you love it so much and you really just want 
the best for the animals and you want to just keep improving yourself every day for them, you're constantly trying your hardest (laughs) just in every aspect really. And, um, so I think you just are constantly trying to evolve and, um, yeah. So basically what you're saying is the stuff that you maybe didn't love, you, you still knew was coming and it was okay. Cause it was for the animals, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, the reason that I asked that was because you said like, you basically just started off cleaning and I know that like cleaning is a big part of keeping always, but like, it sounds like literally your job right away was just to clean. Oh no, it was definitely more than that too. You know, I was uh, trained on enrichment making as well. That's uh, also a huge You do part like doing it. that. Yes. Enrichment is always a good time. Um, and I also started, um, observing training sessions. So they didn't throw me right into training sessions. I was just kind of, um, observing to start, uh, until I worked up those relationships and could, uh, attempt a training session supervised at first, and then kind of go off on my own as I was building my toolkit, as we like to say. Oh, that's adorable. No, that makes sense. So, and you are definitely creating more of a, um, I guess that that's a little more full of a picture because kind of the way, as we were talking about it, it just seemed like your first week was maybe just cleaning enclosures. And I could see why (laughs) that would be a, uh, you know, a bit of a shocker, even though zookeeping is a lot of cleaning. Oh no. Yeah. I think you're doing all this stuff. Anyone who listens to this podcast and is in the field knows that, you know, it's glamorous, maybe 10% of the time. (laughs) And I was fully aware that that was going to be what the job entails. Right. That's awesome. Cool. So then what would you say is one thing that, that shocked you in a good way? Like that you just were like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I can't believe how awesome this is when you first started. Um, I think being able to start training with some of the birds, um, over time, I will never forget. I think one of the first sessions I did was with our umbrella cockatoo sugar. And, um, you know, Danny was observing me and kind of guiding me through it. And I think just me giving a cue and having him respond was honestly like, it was, I was just so excited. (laughs) Even that right from the beginning was just the coolest thing ever. That's awesome. Oh, that's really cool. And, uh, so I'm curious, one of the big things that, that y'all are focused on in training and at Southwix, and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but is operant conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the national aviary episode because we really break it down in there. Um, is operant conditioning something that you learned in school or is that something that you had to learn, uh, as you started this, this career? Yeah, I, it definitely did come up in some of my courses. I did take, uh, an animal behavior course where we did talk a little bit about psychology. Cause I know that that comes from, it has roots in psychology. Um, so I had definitely heard it before, but hadn't really applied it. Um, so I was introduced to that in my internship. And then, um, I even studied before my bird, uh, interview, my bird department interview, uh, for my position. I said, I know this is going to be really important. So I'm going to go on and do a little bit of studying. So I'm sharp on my operant conditioning terms. (laughs) Nice. Did you find that it was easy to apply the theory that you learned in school to to actual work right away? Or was it kind of like you really had to learn on the job, even though, you know, obviously the educational background helped? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, as far as training 
uh, it's invaluable to be actually applying those skills. And um, especially because things can change in an instant, you have to be very reactionary. You have to work on your toes and be able to kind of change course as the environment changes. And so um, I'm still learning all of that. I so I have so much to learn still. And um, so it's something that you have to definitely craft over hours and hours of practice. <laughs> and I don't think you ever stop. Um, you know, I know, I know that you look up to Danny and that Danny is a bit of a mentor to you. And we're going to talk about that more. Um, but I also know from talking to Danny that she has her mentors in the field and, um, some of them have been on this podcast and they are amazing people and they, they've got decades on her and she's looking up to them. Like you're looking up to her and, you know, when interns show up, maybe they're looking at you like, wow, Look at look at how far she is, you know, and it's it's just kind of the the cycle of life. But I think, um, yeah, I think in this, in, you know, in conservation, in animal care in general, you never can stop learning, and you're always just going to keep growing and 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 such. I think that's the best part about the position too, is it's constantly evolving, and you get to just sharpen your skills, and as new information emerges you get to keep learning. Absolutely. And we are constantly learning about these animals. It's, it's kind of amazing how much we still don't know about animals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about mentorship for a second. Sure. Um, cause you know, I've had a few people on now who have talked about it from the perspective of being a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to know what it has meant to you to have someone, um, like Danny in your life to like, what, ha- what impact has she had on you? Life, career, all of it. Just, just talk about what that has meant to you and how she has been able to impact you. Oh gosh. I could gush over Danny for hours. <laughs> That's kind of what this podcast has become lately. I don't know, but you, you know, <laughs> and I love it. I am all here for that. <laughs> um, but she just like creates such a, a comfortable environment where you feel comfortable asking questions. And she is obviously so supportive and, um, she's never going to lead you astray or try and trick you. She sets us up for success as much as she sets up all of the birds for success. So it's definitely just really uplifting. Um, and we're all working together towards a common goal. So, um, it's just really, it just feels very rewarding all around. And, um, some of my favorite days are when we kind of just get to observe her and, you know, we can see her thought process, uh, while she's in a training session, which is, I think sometimes the most helpful. If sometimes you hit a roadblock, it's like, okay, well, what is a good idea to, you know, move forward and kind of get past this? And it's kind of helpful to see someone else's thought process in action. Makes sense. Does she include you in like when you get, when she'll hit a roadblock, will she include the team in discussions and, and taking advice and all of that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes, um, if a bird is not progressing, um, we'll kind of convene in between sessions and we'll kind of be like, Hey, how did that session go? And they'll be like, Oh, not that great. And, um, we'll kind of talk about 
okay, what steps should we take? Because obviously the way that we're going currently isn't working. So let's try something else. And, and you have such an environment there where you feel comfortable, like literally looking at your boss and being like, hey, have you thought of this? I'm definitely still a novice, like I said. And if she's hitting a roadblock, I don't think that I'm going to be the one that she's going to be like, what should I do? But it's definitely uh, collaborative. Yeah, that's I what I'm think. talking about. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying, yeah, but like, I think it's important. A good mentor needs to have a collaborative attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, you're right that like, you know, in this specific case, like Danny knows way more of what she's doing than you do. Obviously, she has years mm-hmm. of experience on you. But sometimes a fresh set of eyes is all you need. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a studio stuck on something with a song and, you know, I'll have I'll have one of my musician buddies listen to it, whether they're a, a you know, better musician than me or not. And they'll just be like, oh, well, what about this? Or And it's it's so obvious, but sometimes you're just missing something in the moment. That's okay, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think there have been situations here and there where um, maybe the setup just has to change slightly, you know, something in the antecedent arrangement, you know, in the environment before the session even starts to say, oh, hold up a second. Wait a minute. Let me take this out of the environment and you'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's little things like that. That's awesome that you feel so comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. So then now here's your curveball question, which is you came into a job where you have a very good mentor. Um, a lot of times people don't have um, natural leadership or mentorship abilities. What would you recommend or what would you suggest to a young keeper who maybe feels like they don't have uh, a Danny in their lives? Ooh, yeah, that is tricky. Um, I would say go out and do as much research as you can on your own. If you don't have that research uh, available to you in your, you know, circle at your position, um, go out and find them. (laughs) There's communities everywhere and you can reach out and, um, People are always, there's always someone out there that's willing to help. So I think, um, and then when you come back with that new information, that person that's maybe not the most helpful or not really in a mentor position will be like, wow, that's really amazing that this person stepped up and figured this out. And that might push them to, you know, change how they do things. Absolutely. And the other thing that I will recommend is just, um, don't be afraid to ask either. I think that a right. lot of people um, feel like when they start something, uh, imposter syndrome. And you have, <laughs> yep. and, and, yeah, I know. I know you do. And um, <laughs> and I feel like uh, the people that have that feel like if they ask for help, they'll be proving that they're an imposter. But that's not actually true. And the truth is that if, if you need, you know, I mean, we all need mentors. We all need advice. I've been in my career for well over a decade, uh, making a living as a professional musician. And I still go to, to other music directors and, and other people occasionally and say, what the heck do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's okay. So yeah, it, it is definitely, uh, good to, to ask for that kind of thing. If, if it's just not automatically provided. Yeah. I guess if you don't feel comfortable, uh, going to that person, there are options for you, uh, but don't ever be afraid. You know, those people hopefully want the best for you. And so I, I definitely think as afraid as you are to ask, 
just don't be. Um, yeah, cool. So, uh, I would like to take a minute now to ask you if you have anyone or anything that you would like to give a shout out to. Sure. I mean, Southwick Zoo has a TikTok now. Oh Uh, my goodness. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. Yeah. So go ahead and follow Southwick Zoo on TikTok. I would like to point out that Southwick Zoo got a TikTok one day after Rossafari <laughs> launched the Rossafari TikTok. Well, Is this a coincidence? You know, maybe your influence goes farther than you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's what all the the hip kids are doing these days. So uh, it's just one more way that we can put out content that you know makes us smile. So we hope that it makes other people smile. Yeah, got to get your uh, your baggy mom jeans and your middle part and uh and get your TikTok going. <laughs> I okay, I am a 96 baby, so I belong to neither millennial or Gen Z. So I'm just kind of floating out here in space trying to figure it out. <laughs> Trust me, my friend, that is what we are all doing all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I am a millennial on TikTok and I don't know why and I it it's scary over there sometimes, but don't yeah. lie. Are you having fun? Okay. So here's the honest <laughs> truth of, of TikTok to me. Okay. I have so much fun making those videos mm-hmm. and uh, I have had the boop, the snoot song stuck in my head since I made that goat video. Uh, I sing it regularly. It will not leave. <laughs> it is a part of my life now and I'm okay with that. Um, I do like like when I find good follows, like Southwicks has some really great stuff. You guys are making great content and it's fun and it's educational. And, uh, zookeeper Mel is incredible and, and has all these great zoo. I feel like her TikTok is my podcast in, you know, 30 second to a minute clips. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but I also do find that TikTok is largely beautiful people getting likes for being beautiful and getting comments that are disgusting and you know it's it's yeah I don't know there's a lot that I really honestly don't like about it but I also have a ton of fun with like the things that I do follow and everything you know right I think that you can you curate it to right the content that you want to see (laughs) yes and that's that's what I did with my Twitter and I love Twitter even though I know a lot of people hate Twitter but uh yeah when you first dive into TikTok and it's just 20 year old girls shaking their booties and (laughs) and and showing off their bodies and getting a hundred thousand two hundred thousand followers I'm like what oh my goodness I I feel my hair going gray I'm reaching for a cane I'm like what (laughs) I need you know but you know it is fun it is definitely fun I do love the fact that anytime I post a video you like it within about 30 seconds you're you're immediately there oh yeah like you just live on tiktok (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's it's bad but you know our phones are so readily available to us. I'm definitely scrolling frequently. So, Well, I feel like it has to help you too. So another thing about you that we haven't talked about yet is that you are a dancer. I sure am. And you are like a hell of a dancer. <laughs> like I work with people who make a living dancing and I have now seen you dancing thanks to TikTok and you are a really legitimately good dancer. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And um, I feel like it's got to be hard not being able to get that out to the world since you are a zookeeper. But so do you find that like, you know, the ability to share stuff on TikTok and to be do that a little bit does help you feel, I don't know, a little more artistically fulfilled? Absolutely. That 
was in the beginning of quarantine, that was just what I would do on my weekends. It was just so much fun uh, learning these dances. It was a way to keep going. You know, before COVID, I would go out to dance studios whenever I could and take classes, which is a little bit harder once you're out of, you know, the realm of child classes. It's harder as an adult to find drop-in classes. Um, And then COVID hit and that was not something that was safe to do. So it was definitely a great artistic outlet to keep dancing and keep learning choreography, keep your brain sharp. Yeah, no, that is, that's, that's really cool. There is a lot of fun about it. I sound like an old man complaining, but you know, (laughs) I am one, so it's, it's okay. (laughs) Oh no, not that old. No, not that old, but, but I don't know. First time I got on TikTok, I I did. I was like, okay, I need my, need my denture. I'm going to start talking like this now. And I just, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Need my reading glasses. (laughs) I do think it's fun to see different sides of people though. Like I had gotten to know you a little bit and I knew Danny pretty well by then. And like, I saw like you guys did this TikTok dance where you're like dancing together. And it was, um, I mean, there are a few, but there was one where you guys are sitting and you're doing this cool little dance thing. And I probably watched it like 10 times. I was like, dang, they can both really dance. And are like, wow, this is really cool and really fun. And I would have never expected it from Danny and, and hadn't known you well enough yet. But I was like, oh, I like Emily too. They're both really cool. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely really fun. We kind of We'll send each other, okay, let's do this one. And um, we'll take our weekends separately and be like, okay, I learned my part. Did you learn your part? And then we'll come together and we'll film it. And um, it's it's definitely, you know, outside of how much fun we have at work, it's just a little extra fun that we get to have. <laughs> well, and speaking of fun at work, there was, there was another thing I did want to bring up. Talk to me about the soundtrack of Southwick's Zoo. When you're working, <laughs> there is always music going. And, and I know that it depends on the keeper. So, so tell me about this. Music is so important, I think. Uh, it sets the whole tone for the morning, the whole day. Um, so it's definitely, it's, it's a, a, a decision that we don't take lightly. You know, <laughs> whoever's on Ox that day, like it is a crucial make or break decision. And if the music is just not fitting the energy, you just are dragging, (laughs) getting the cleaning done in the morning. It's huge. I do remember I I saw a video on Instagram uh, that one of you guys had posted, one of the two of you. And I was like, oh, that's so (laughs) cute. Is that, wait a minute. That's not only ABBA, that's from the Mamma Mia 2 soundtrack. That is Cher <laughs> singing ABBA. And I was embarrassed that I knew that fact, but I instantly called you guys out. <laughs> you knew it specifically, and I just thought that was so funny. And I was like, oh yes, Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. <laughs> I feel like that was like one of our first conversations, and I was just like, wait a minute. I, mean, I, might, be, I might be exposing myself a little bit here by saying that I know what this is, but... Uh... We definitely go through phases. We went through a hardcore ABBA phase and we've kind of overdone it a little bit. So we're trying to branch out into other genres of music, but we're also curating a collaborative playlist that is just all all encompassing and perfect and it makes everyone happy. (laughs) Nice. So if I'm, if I walk in there tomorrow, what am I going to hear? Tomorrow, tomorrow is Saturday trying to think of who's going to be on. Oh, I am I'm going to be playing music tomorrow. Ooh. So, it's kind of whatever I'm feeling. I'm I'm kind of all over the place. It's definitely a last minute decision and, you know, I definitely switch 
<laughs> periodically throughout the morning between playlists. But have you thought of including the Rossafari poop story poop story theme in your? <laughs> if you can get it a little bit longer, if we can get it up to like three minutes, I'll throw it on my playlist. Oh, I mean, I am willing to do an extended version of the poop story. Poop story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, there have been times, this is really funny. We have um, a an album that we use for our show music. We It's playing in the, um, in the show arena before we go and we turn down the volume while we're doing our show and then we turn it back up at the end. Um, and our CD stopped working. So the album is available on Spotify. So usually someone will have to grab their phone, plug it into the stereo system and then play the show music, uh, for while we're out during the day. And, um, sometimes when you're hitting shuffle on your Spotify app, show music comes on in the barn. <laughs> it's jarring. I, I remember one time a show song came on and I said, oh my God, where am I? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, speaking of shows, tell me about, about that. Uh, so did you start off doing shows when you first started there? No. So I did start in November. So we were already uh, closed for the season. And so that was definitely nice. I had a lot of prep um, but Danny was kind enough to give me a script. So I had this little pamphlet with all of the, um, it's very loose too. Wait, wait. Hold okay. On. So I know that every place does shows differently. Are you telling me that you have like a scripted show? Do you have like, please tell me that you have like a character and goobery lines to say, <laughs> please tell me this. No, no, certainly ah. not. It is. It is strictly educational and very professional. And I, when I say it's scripted, it's a very rough outline and it kind of hits the points that um, are important, the you know main facts for that part of the show that should be presented to the audience. And um, it does allow a lot of improv. You know, if something goes wrong, if a bird doesn't want to participate, um, you have to kind of be on your toes and have a fun fact in the back of your brain to fill the silence or um, switch to something else while something else is happening and um, just kind of fill those spaces. So it's a very loose outline, um, but it's got all of the good points, the good driving points that we're trying to hit home with. Makes sense. I just have this mental image of like a bird refuses to cooperate and you just start dancing awkwardly. Like <laughs> I can do this. This is what I know how to do. Somebody bring me a parrot, please. <laughs> it's actually, so when that does happen, it's a great opportunity to talk about operant conditioning. So we say <laughs> we do all positive reinforcement training with our birds. So if our birds choose not to participate, that's totally fine. And we move on and we say, give a hand for so-and-so. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Um, yeah. So you like, you think that birds are, yeah, I'm sorry, you think that shows are good for just educational value and, and um, you're, you're a fan of, of doing the shows? Oh, I love doing shows. I think it's so much fun. And, um, you know, we definitely are showing off the best that we have, you know, the best vocals and the best behaviors that we can while all encompassing the, you know, ideas of conservation. And that's what always the main driving point is conservation and whatever the topic happens to be. Um, but we're kind of sandwiching it in between super fun vocals and super fun behaviors to keep everyone engaged. <laughs> 
Um, so I definitely love um, that opportunity to kind of keep people engaged and excited about the information. That's definitely a big part of it is, you know, the interactions with the public, which leads me to my story. So <laughs> that is one of my favorite parts of the job um, is, you know, getting the opportunity to talk to the public, seeing their minds change, because there aren't a lot of people who are just like super into birds. Um, so it's always really wonderful to see their opinions change and they leave, or sometimes they don't even want to leave the show arena. And then they leave so excited about birds and their conservation, which is just so awesome. But, uh, our show arena is across the street from, uh, the barn where the animals all live. And so there's no bathroom out at the stage. So if you have to go to the bathroom, you got to run all the way back to the barn and um, be quick about it, obviously. So uh, that's what I did. And I came back to the show arena and uh, tried to get it back there as quickly as I could. And I was speaking to this family after one of our shows. And um, this little boy happened to be a 4 h -er, like I was growing up. And he said that he wanted to be a zookeeper. And I just lit up and I said, you know, if you stay in school and you work really hard, you can do it just like I did. And, you know, it's like one of those experiences as a young zookeeper that you dream about, you know, being an inspiration to this child that wants to get into the field. And it was just so wonderful. And the mom kind of hangs back and she goes, by the way, your fly is down. <laughs> My... My high was instantly crushed. <laughs> I just had this like this magical movie moment and it was just brought to a crashing halt. <laughs> but anyway, that was my embarrassing story that I just I I would only share with you, John. <laughs> That is amazing. I love it. I love it. Very <laughs> on brand for you. Very. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm still working on it. I'm still in my awkward little baby phase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. I, I hear from audience members all the time. I, I could tell you hundreds of stories of what I thought were going to be amazing interactions that, that just, I mean, I remember one time I, I came out of a show that I had just played and this guy stopped me. And he was like, you boys were amazing up there. And I was like, thank you. Yeah, we kind of were, weren't we? And he was like, oh, y'all were so good. You know, my son's a musician. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And he's like, he would have loved this show. He would have <gasps> just loved every second of it. I wish I had brought him with me. He actually plays the drums and uh, probably a little bit better than the drummer you had up there. But otherwise, you were fantastic. And I obviously am the drummer. And I was like, I, uh, Oh no! But whatever, this is fine. It's fine. You know, people talk. It's all good. I thought you were going to say that he was dead. So, <laughs> <laughs> when you were like, "Oh, I wish you could have seen this," he's dead. Oh no, no, that would actually have been. You know, that would have been sweet in a That's sad dang. way. This was just the person being a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Ron Safari poop story. Hit me. Poop story.
<laughs> I think that's the part that I'm most excited for is that little echo that you do after. So, <laughs> but it should just be me. Poop story. Yes. Okay. So, um, I would also, before I start Danny in her episode, I'm sure everyone, if you're here, you listen to Danny's episode. Let's be real. Um, she shared this really wonderful story about a coworker who had uh, a female eclectus parrot poop into the palm of her hand in the middle of a show. And I would just like to clarify that that was me. (laughs) 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 Which that is one of my favorite stories of our sweet sweet female eclectus parrot, Amber, pooping right into the palm of my hand. (laughs) So so you've already had a poop story. Poop story. Without even having an episode. Yes, I have. So that's, that's one of my favorites until now. So this is fresh, hot off the presses. This happened last week and it is a doozy. I hope you're ready. So, um, last week, you know, everything's going as normal. Uh, we're all just doing our cleaning in the morning. Danny's on one side of the barn. I'm on the other side of the barn and it is springtime. So we're seeing a lot of those, uh, nasty behaviors, reproductive, um, hormone levels are up. And so our birds are all going through some changes right now. And that's to be expected. And, you know, it makes things a little bit more challenging, but we try to work through it. Um, So for some of our female parrots, they do lay eggs. Um, We have a little uh, blue-crowned conure. She does not lay eggs, but um, we think that she does go through some of those hormonal fluctuations during this time of year. So we think that she's producing some albumin, and that she doesn't actually produce an egg, but she's still producing the content. So um, this makes her poop a little bit stickier. And sometimes it does get stuck in her feathers around her cloaca. And so one morning, Danny noticed that uh, Kiki, our blue crowned conure, had some poop stuck to her butt and said, oh, we, it looks like this happened. We, we expect this to happen. It does happen um, once a year. And so... We did unfortunately have to catch her to kind of help her out, get this poop off her butt. So um, we got all this stuff together. We've got some paper towels, some uh, wet towels, uh, some warm water and a syringe to kind of loosen things up. And so Danny goes in and catches Kiki and I've got some warm water and we're both working to kind of get this poop off of Kiki's butt. And Danny's got her fingers in there, you know, being the mother of parrots that she is (laughs) and just taking these pieces of poop off of Kiki's cloaca. And so, um, as she loosens up one piece and, um, Kiki just projectile poops right up into the air. And it, there was so much force behind this poop that it made a noise and (laughs) we were so focused on helping poor little Kiki that we didn't even have time to laugh. We were just so focused on making sure that we were going to clean her up and get her good to go. And so, you know, we cleaned her up, got her back in her exhibit and then we just laughed our butts off. It was just <laughs> so astounding. I think it got um, in Danny's Apple Watch. It oh, no. shot out that far. It was just <laughs> this poor little thing. You know, we were like, I hope you feel better now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing the interview and not being too afraid and only checking your notebook like 10 times. 
I have it right here. I'm still, I'm still, ch- the interview is over and I'm still looking. I, at I it. know. I saw you glance again. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure I hit everything. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Still have some hardcore imposter syndrome, but thanks for being my friend. Of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, you're, uh, you'll uh, stop it. You're awesome. I know that you're <laughs> awesome because your boss tells me that you're awesome. And we, we, we talk in, in our non-group thread and she, you know, she would tell me the truth. She would tell me if you were horrible. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> that you guys don't think that I'm horrible. Not too horrible. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Joe. I hope you guys enjoyed that because I know I sure did. You can check Emily out on Instagram at Emily Begay. That is B E G U E. And of course, don't forget to check out SouthwicksZoo.com and EarthLTD.org. So don't forget. Zoo News will be dropping on Thursday, and I've been playing with some fun new music for y'all. You're going to really enjoy it. And then on Tuesday, there will be yet another amazing interview with an incredible poop story and so much more. And don't forget, y'all, the word credits in Eclectus is... Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.